Please be seated. Good evening. Zephaniah, Sunday nights through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, currently in the Minor Prophets. And if you hit the Gospel according to Matthew and go to Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, and then there is Zephaniah. The introduction of uh, Zephaniah is found in verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. And so uh, uh, Zephaniah was uh, the great, great, a grandson of a very, very good and godly king by the name of Hezekiah. Uh, as such, he would have been a, a distant cousin to the current king in Judah at the time in which he prophesies, and that is King Josiah. Uh, because Hezekiah uh, was a fairly common name uh, back in those days, there are a lot of people who look and, and uh, uh, say that he might not have been a descendant of uh, King Hezekiah, but of some other Hezekiah. Uh, but the fact that he takes the genealogy uh, back four generations, uh, very unusual for a prophet to do that. Usually they'll name uh, the one generation their father, at the most their grandfather as well, but not four generations. It appears that he wants us to, to let us know in a sanctified way that he is a descendant of the king. He is uh, a, a descendant of, of a godly family and a royal uh, line. And so we see uh, God calls his prophets, not all of them from uh, hard scrabble backgrounds or uh, anonymous kind of backgrounds. He calls his people from uh, all kinds of different walks of life. His name means that God hides, uh, the Lord hides, or he protects, or he treasures. Uh, Zephaniah ministered to uh, the southern kingdom of Judah and to its capital, uh, Jerusalem. And the prophet appears to have been a resident of, of Jerusalem because uh, of his words in verse 4. He speaks about uh, from this place. Uh, he makes frequent mention of Jerusalem and clearly he knows the city uh, very, very uh, well. It's important to understand the time and the circumstances of the prophecy, I think, to fully appreciate what it is that he's communicating. He communicates, as he tells us, at the time of King Josiah. And King Josiah was one of the greatest kings the southern kingdom of Judah ever had. One of the most godly kings that Judah uh, ever uh, had. And, uh, and as a result of him ministering and, and prophesying at the time uh, of, uh, uh, of Josiah, it would have made him a contemporary of Nahum and also of Jeremiah. Before uh, Josiah became king, uh, Judah had endured two of the most wicked kings that uh, the southern kingdom ever had. The reign of a man by the name of Manasseh and the reign of Manasseh's son by the name of uh, Amnon, Ammon. And uh, that covered a period of 55 years of just unbroken, indescribable wickedness in the top spot uh, within, within the nation. They took idolatry uh, uh, within the nation to levels it had never known before. There was no shame for idolatry. Idolatry was practiced um, openly. Manasseh built altars to Baal. Uh, he worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars. Uh, he even placed uh, these uh, altars to these different gods in the temple courts. And he even uh, carved an Asherah pole, an obscene uh, object of, of idol worship, and placed it within the very temple uh, itself. And then astonishingly, as if anything couldn't get any worse than that, uh, child sacrifice to the gods, which was readily practiced among the Gentile nations, even became practiced 
among uh, the Jews, among uh, God's people. And it was practiced at that time with uh, uh, official uh, sanction. And Ammon, he continued all of this during his reign as well. Josiah becomes the king of Judah in 640 B.C. He becomes king at the age of eight. At the age of 16, he began to seek God, we're told, in earnest. He ordered all of the idolatry that was being practiced uh, within Judah uh, to cease. Uh, He destroyed all of the idols that were present in Jerusalem uh, and in, uh, in Judah. And then 10 years later, A copy of the Law of Moses was discovered by uh, Hilkiah, uh, the high priest, uh, in the temple, and Josiah committed to obeying uh, the commandments of the Word of God. And he made obeying the Word of God, uh, made the commandments of God the spiritual standard uh, for the nation. It produced a revival Uh, that included the celebration of a long-forgotten feast of of Passover. uh, But the revival, unfortunately, was largely outward. Uh, The people, they they just continued to go, uh, they went along outwardly with his godly kind of things he was doing because it was expedient to do that. Okay, we got to prosper under wicked kings, we got to prosper under good kings, and, uh, and so whatever we have to do to please the, uh, the new sheriff, we'll, we'll do that uh, just for our own uh, profit and benefit. But they continued uh, right below the surface. They continued their idolatry and uh, they continued their uh, wickedness secretly and just waiting for uh, this line of kings now to change once again so that uh, wickedness would go back to normal. And so Zephaniah, interestingly, because his letter, his prophecies, uh, prophecy is so strong, you say, how could he be needing to say things this strong to the people in Judah when Josiah's the king? And we know some marginal revival occurred as a result of it. It was only because it was on a surface level. God knew the hearts of the people. And so he raises up this prophet now uh, to uh, speak uh, to them. And Zephaniah looks past all of Josiah's uh, outward reforms, as commendable as they were. He doesn't mention them at all as he looked past all of the outward appearances of true spirituality among uh, God's people. And he warned the, the, the nation and the city that God wasn't fooled by their hypocrisy, uh, that, he, uh, that he saw all of their idolatry and wickedness, and he was warning them that the day of the Lord, the day of God's judgment, his wrath was hastening uh, toward them. The theme of the book is the day of the Lord. That's the single great theme. And that uh, phrase, the, the uh, day of the Lord, is used seven times in the book. And it speaks of any time that God intervenes in human history, Uh, in a supernatural way, though most often it refers to His judgment. And uh, His judgment, whether on the near term, related to uh, the history of the children of Israel, or it's oftentimes a reference for the great tribulation at the end of the age. And so uh, He was communicating that God's judgment is coming upon the people of Judah for their uh, disobedience. And uh, Zephaniah used the term, the day of the Lord, to refer to uh, this uh, Babylonian invasion that would occur as a result. As we we read this this prophecy, one of the things you realize about Zephaniah is that he is absolutely fearless. And and it's impossible uh, not to understand with absolute clarity what it is that he's saying. He, he doesn't have a political bone in his body. Uh, he's not trying to win any kind of a popularity contest. What for him, the message and clarity related to the message is what is most important. Not the form, but the, but the substance. And there's an old saying that goes like this, and that is, uh, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. 
If there isn't clarity from the person that's speaking for God as he does, then people are not going to understand what in the world God is trying to say uh, to them. So no one looks at the, the prophecy of Zephaniah and goes, I wonder what he meant by uh, that. He doesn't use any kind of metaphors or uh, illustrative language. He just says it in a way you can't misunderstand. When the church was downtown on 10th and F, I would occasionally leave my office down there and just to take a walk downtown. And uh, there was this little uh, square, uh, not Baselite block, but a uh, a masonry block building that was down there and uh, not very big at all kind of something that would be built in the 40s a little art deco kind of vibe to it and I looked in the window uh, of that that building and uh, it, there was a single great office in there a reception area small reception area a single great office a big desk that was right there a chair behind the desk and then a couple chairs in front of it and I'll never forget the sign that I saw uh, sitting on the wall behind the desk. And the sign said, be brief, be blunt, be gone. And uh, this is very much Zephaniah uh, in, in uh, in, in his methodology and in his delivery of the message. And so he begins here in formally in verse two, that the day of the Lord is coming, judgment day is going to come. And God said, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and, uh, and the stumbling blocks, that is, the idols, along with the wicked. I will cut off from the face of the land, uh, off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. Speaking of the Babylonian invasion and conquest, ultimately, of the southern kingdom of Judah for their sin and, and idolatry. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of uh, Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal uh, from this place. And Baal was the god of, of um, agriculture, was the god of fertility in the ancient world. And, and uh, so the practices that were associated with uh, the worship of Baal were uh, an idol that was worshipped, but it also involved uh, uh, temple prostitution and these kind of things, uh, all in a celebration of fertility. And this, and the worship of Baal had become very entrenched among uh, God's people. And uh, and I will cut off the names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests, priests that held uh, positions as associated with the temple in, in Judah, and yet they were involved in pagan worship uh, and in idolatry uh, as well. And those who worshiped the host of heaven on the housetops. And so there was the worship of uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, and various uh, gods that were associated uh, with that. Of course, it's illogical to... Uh, worship the sun, the moon, and the stars because they are a creation. And you never worship the creation when there's always a creator behind it who is greater and you should worship uh, him. And so God would bring an end to all of this kind of of worship that was uh, present there uh, within Judah. And those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, uh, but who also swear by uh, Milcom. And so he uh, makes a point here of, of saying, I'm going to cut off uh, the double-hearted uh, among uh, the children uh, of Judah, those who worship the Lord and worship Milcom. Milcom is, uh, is uh, an alternate spelling for uh, Molech. It was the worship of pleasure, the worship of, of lust and whatever uh, its, its form. And so here you have uh, the children of Israel. They are engaging in both. They're engaged in the worship of uh, Milcom, of Molech, also engaged in the worship uh, of the Lord. So they've mixed these two things together, the worship of the Lord, the worship uh, of Milcom, uh, the deification of lust. And so it's kind of like uh, claiming to be a Christian and living a sexually immoral life, or claiming to be a Christian living with my boyfriend, living with my uh, girlfriend. And, uh, and this was the kind of thing that was going on among uh, God's people. The problem with that 
And whatever the form might be, this uh, linking together of one philosophy of man or one bit of idolatry from the world and bring it in into my relationship with God, is the Bible teaches that God is a jealous God. I mean, you, you think about, I mean, if we have any kind of a, of a, a, a even scratching the surface sense of His, his glory, His almightiness, uh, and, and here He is present within our life, and then for me to bring these kind of things into my life and, uh, and expect that he's going to be okay with that. It'd be like a husband coming home and saying, I just want you to, I'm moving my girlfriend in uh, to his wife. And she's supposed to be okay with that. She's not going to be okay with that. And her jealousy may, it, it won't even be as holy as the jealousy of God. It would be an affront to the person. It would, it would be an act of violence against the person in the relationship. Of course, they would never uh, put up with that. And God comes in and He says He's not going to put up with that uh, at all either. And then he's, He would uh, cut off uh, from the land, uh, verse 6, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. So, of the backslidden, those that rejected the Lord. Imagine turning your back on, on Him. So these people, they're not idolaters, but they are apostate. They are uh, indifferent to the things of God and, uh, and backslidden. They don't even care enough to inquire of God. And, uh, and so God said, I will uh, destroy them, cut them off from the land as well. And then in verse 7, uh, God likens the, the day of the Lord in Judah to a sacrifice being offered. Only uh, the sacrifice that is being offered is going to be Judah. And who Judah is going to be offered to is the Babylonians. Be silent in the presence of uh, the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Again, a reference to, uh, to His uh, judgment. And uh, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, that is Judah, He has invited His uh, uh, guests. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. So He's, he's telling them that no, uh, having a royal position, uh, being a part of a royal family, Having that kind of wealth, that kind of power, that kind of influence will be no defense against the judgment that I'm going to bring upon you uh, by way of uh, the, the, the Babylonians. The extent of the destruction will go uh, right into that level of society. And in the same day, I will punish those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Apparently this leaping over the threshold, I don't know if you walk on your threshold or not when you walk into the house at the base of your feet, but this was apparently a superstition related to uh, the Philistines. They would not step upon the threshold. They would jump over that, considering it to be good luck. And so here they are. They are um, adhering to, they are honoring the superstitions of the Philistines. And they won't give any kind of weight or honor uh, to the commandments of God Almighty Himself. And, and when it talks about them jumping, leaping over the threshold, they fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. That is, they were stripping people uh, of their wealth, stealing it from them uh, by all kinds of different means, and then uh, bringing it and making their masters uh, richer than ever. And there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry, from the fish gate, and the fish gate was the gate in the, at that time in Jerusalem that was closest to the fish market. Again, here is Zephaniah's familiarity with the city. A wailing will uh, come from the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Uh, wail, you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down, 
all those who handle money uh, are cut off. And so this uh, Babylonian uh, invasion and conquest of the city will uh, go from one end of the, the uh, city uh, to the other and, uh, and impact uh, all of it. Uh, judgment, he says in, in verse 12 here, uh, 12 here uh, he starts to talk about his judgment upon uh, the sinners, including the, uh, those guilty of the sin of having settled in their, on their lees. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in their complacency. I like it in the old King James they're settled in their lees. And the making, uh, and this speaks of a spiritual uh, uh, complacency, a spiritual lackness. So when they would make wine in the ancient world, there's, it's, it, it, what's practiced today is just a variation, a high-tech variation of it, um, is that uh, the, the, the uh, uh, juice would be placed within a container, and then uh, the sediment would fall down to the bottom of the container. And uh, you wanted it to sit at the bottom a little while in order to bring uh, needed taste and texture to the wine. But if you let the wine and, and the lees that are on the bottom there uh, uh, sit too long, then they would begin to kind of uh, turn into a jelly and they would then destroy all of the wine. Everything uh, would be destroyed. And so what the people that made wine would do is they would leave it there for a, a short period of time, a prescribed period of time, and then they would pour it into another vessel, and then into another vessel, and into another vessel, uh, so that it wouldn't be ruined uh, by the, uh, what would become impure and, and ruin uh, the wine. And so that's one of the reasons why God uh, keeps uh, your life. Uh, um, he's always shaking it up. I mean, I assume he's doing that with all of us. <laughs> and you look at it and you, you, people say, how, you, uh, how are things going? Oh, they're great, going great right now. Uh, and, and, but you know in the back of your mind, you, I'm going to enjoy this. Because I don't know when he's going to shake things up again. I need to be shaken up. I need to be poured from vessel to vessel or I'll be entirely capable of just getting settled down into a spiritual complacency and then destroy what it is that God is trying to bring out in my life. So he's nice enough to keep things always a little unsettled, keep me dependent upon him, keep things moving in uh, in my life. And it's one of the ways that he keeps us from, uh, from settling in, uh, uh, on our lees. And one of the marks of being settled on a person's uh, lees, the characteristic of their heart, you notice that Zephaniah says, who say in their hearts, uh, again, this is a whole hypocrisy. This is a whole acting thing that is going on in Judah. No one under King Josiah would say it out loud, but they were certainly saying it in their hearts. And it's the person who says in their hearts, the Lord will uh, not do good, nor will he uh, do evil. Doesn't matter whether I obey him or I don't obey him. He's not going to do anything. He puts all those commandments there in the Old Testament and in the Bible because that's the kind of thing you expect God to say. He has to say stuff like that. But he's never going to do that. He's never going to judge Jerusalem. He's never going to judge Judah. He's never going to judge uh, my life. And, there, and there's that attitude that I can, can continue, continue to practice these things and he will never ever bring the hammer down on me. He will never take me into the woodshed and uh, give me uh, a whooping. And, and so they, they looked at him and said, no, nah, he, he, won't, he won't do anything. I can keep practicing this idolatry. I can pr keep practicing uh, this sin because he says this stuff, but he doesn't do it. Uh, and the reason people feel that way and the reason they probably felt it in Judah and Jerusalem is up to then, God had been promising that he would bring this judgment and up to then, he hadn't done it. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't coming. 
And that danger of looking at the patience of God in which He gives us space to repent and to misinterpret it as meaning, no, He'll never do that. But then the day came in which, uh, which he, he did uh, do that. And therefore their goods shall become booty, spoil, and their uh, houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but, they shall, but not inhabit it, habit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their uh, wine. And then he describes this, uh, this great day of the Lord that is going to come upon uh, Judah in the form uh, of uh, of this Babylonian conquest. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. He's warning them. Uh, you think he, God doesn't do this. You think that the, the judgment is, is afar off. But it's near and it hastens quickly. It, it, one of the interesting things through, through the years, um, uh, always of, of special interest to me and, and of special, uh, uh, especially heartbreaking is when a pastor falls. Whether a pastor falls uh, from his calling based upon some kind of, of sin, whether it happens uh, nationally or happens in the state or locally or whatever, it, it, uh, it, it is heartbreaking. And, and, and there's always this, uh, uh, God warns that the, the day, whenever we fall into sin or we commit sin and then the judgment comes uh, upon us or we're committing sin, committing sin, knowingly, willfully, deliberately committing sin with the idea that this will never catch up to me. And then one day it does. It does for all of our lives. Because God loves us enough not to make a, allow us to become successful in sin. And so He gives the space, He gives the space, He warns, it's coming, it's coming quickly, He's not heeded, and then one day, boom, everything is out for everybody to see. The noise of the day of the Lord uh, is bitter. The noise of the Babylonian invasion and conquest of the city. There the mighty men shall cry out, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, speaking of uh, the smoke coming up from the flames of, of uh, the buildings and the city that were set on fire, a day of trumpet and alarm uh, against the fortified city and against the high uh, towers. And God said the personal effect that all of this would have upon people. He says, I will bring distress upon men. They shall walk like blind men. They'll be so traumatized that they'll stagger and they'll grope for direction in the way that a blind person would. And all of this coming upon them because of their sin that they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like uh, refuge. The bodies would, and ultimately they would, the bodies would lay in great heaps following the conquest of, uh, by the, the Babylonians and, and uh, stacked in these great piles and essentially hand, uh, handled like uh, garbage, like uh, refuse. And all of this, Zephaniah is trying to uh, get the, the children of Judah to avoid by simply confessing their sin and then turning uh, from it. He's not gleeful in the message. He's just warning God has a line, and you're getting very, very close uh, to that line. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, uh, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of His jealousy. Again, uh, God is a jealous God. He, 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 uh, um, he doesn't feel that He ought to share our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength with anything else. In, in terms of a master passion or God uh, within our lives. And of course, he shouldn't. I mean, you think about um, the level of pride that is... I'm not saying that I'm incapable of it, but the level of pride that is, uh, it, it will be in a human heart 
where a person can actually think uh, that God will have to just accept a part of me and, uh, and whatever part he can get uh, from me uh, as he kind of earns his right from my life uh, uh, in competition with the other idols within my life. What a sense of, of, of self-importance that uh, would be. And for he will make a uh, speedy uh, riddance of all those who dwell uh, in the land. And then Zephaniah here in chapter 2, he called Judah to repent and again for the purpose of avoiding the judgment. Again, as we see it continually in the major prophets, the minor prophets, God never judged without warning and warning and warning and warning people uh, that, it, that it was coming. But how it works in our lives is that when, if we are engaged in idolatry, we are engaged in wickedness, engaged in disobedience or what is prohibited by the Scriptures, and we are engaged in it uh, habitually as a lifestyle and willfully, He warns and He warns and He warns and He warns before He ever has to out it and, and make the issue uh, bring it out into the open. He likes to deal with things quietly as he possibly can. And so gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. And uh, it's as undesirable in the New King James. Um, uh, some translations have it, O shameless uh, nation. It is, a, um, it is a dangerous thing for a nation to lose its sense of shame concerning wickedness. Uh, and I've mentioned this before, but I mean, when I was growing up and a teacher would say to you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. They used to do that, by the way, uh, because it was a cause for shame uh, of what it is that, uh, that we had done. And it did something good inside of us. It created a deterrent to ever doing that again. I recognize it. Yes, that's a shameful thing, what I've done there. And our culture, uh, any stigma of shame associated with anything has been virtually completely removed. And, and it is a terrible thing to remove from a culture uh, and, and an attitude toward sin. Uh, and, uh, and not only to lose it within a culture, but for a child of God to lose it in our own individual life, where we're no longer ashamed of the sin that we're practicing as long as we can do like Judah did, and that is keep it secret from everybody else so nobody else knows that it's going on, and then I don't have to be uh, ashamed of it. And so he warned them as a shameless nation. Uh, and he said, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather yourself together before the decree is issued. Uh, the decree for judgment or the day passes like chaff. Uh, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you. Before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. And you notice in verse 2, before, before, before. You are on the before side of this judgment, he's telling them. But you are just barely on the before side of this judgment. And you're about to slip over that line until now it's going to become after. But as long as there's a before, there's hope in the situation. They could have repented at that moment and, and had everything uh, turned. But before would become after uh, unfortunately. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice. Uh, seek righteousness. Seek humility. Uh, it may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So here we see uh, the Lord uh, uh, with what He knows is true uh, about even the most wicked of nations or the wicked, most wicked of situations. He realized that <clears throat> that even as the nation had gone to these kind of depths of idolatry and sin and hypocrisy, that there was still a godly remnant among them. And he'll talk to them a little bit more in, in chapter 3. But he lets them know, uh, he let, you stay in your place. 
Not only does it not matter what the world becomes, it doesn't matter what the church becomes or what claims to represent me. You obey my word, remain a remnant, and because I notice that, and it will make a difference in your life uh, when my judgment is, uh, is poured out, the day of my anger. And then God continues to speak of uh, the uh, judgment that it wouldn't just merely come by way of the Babylonians, uh, come to Judah, but also engulf all of their neighbors as well. For Gaza shall be forsaken, and Ashkelon uh, desolate, as he speaks about the Philistine uh, nation. They shall drive out Ashdod at noonday uh, when the Babylonians come in and defeat the Philistines. It won't be a sneak attack. Uh, They will come in at noon. Uh, at the height of your preparation, and they will come in and destroy you uh, anyway. And Ekron will be uprooted. He names all of the five major cities of, uh, of the Philistine kind of empire, so to speak, and all of them are going to be destroyed by the Babylonians. Woe to the inhabitants of the seacoast, uh, the nation of uh, the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines, I will destroy you so there will be no inhabitant. The seacoast and their cities were seacoast cities, they're great cities. The seacoast is going to become pastures for animals, shelters for shepherds and folds for flocks. Uh, The coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed their flocks there in the houses of Ashkelon. They shall lay down at evening, for the Lord their God will intervene for them and return their captives. And so uh, the Philistine cities would be destroyed, so destroyed, they would become the inhabitants of shepherds and and animals and uh, and a, a place for... Uh, this godly remnant among the Jews who would not be deported by, uh, by the Babylonians to uh, make their place of pasture for their flocks. He then moves from uh, speaking about the judgment on, on the west, the, uh, the Philistines, to now judgment coming upon uh, Judah's neighbors to the east. I have heard the reproach of Moab and the insults of the people uh, of Ammon. Uh, with which they have reproached my people and made arrogant threats uh, against their borders. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be like Sodom and the people of Ammon like Gomorrah, overrun with weeds and salt pits and a perpetual uh, desolation. The residue of my people shall plunder them and the remnant of my people shall possess them." This they shall have for their pride. And so he is judging them for their pride. What was uh, the the characteristic of their pride that he's talking about? Because they have reproached and made arrogant threats against the people of the Lord of hosts. So God was judging Judah and uh, uh, a parent is free Uh, to judge or to chasten their children. So if I'm in a restaurant and my children were still young and I still had muscles, uh, if I chastened my child in that restaurant, that would be one thing. If somebody got up from another table and came over and chastened my child, that's another thing. There's going to be trouble there. And, uh, and so God was chastening his, his children, and they used it as an opportunity to pile on uh, and, and, uh, and take advantage uh, of the children of, of Judah, and, and God didn't like it, and He judged them for that. The Lord will be awesome to them, uh, not in the, the normal use of awesome, awesome in our current Uh, terminology, for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth. People shall worship him, each from his own, uh, each one from his place, Uh, indeed all the shores of the nations. He then uh, moves his gaze prophetically to the south. The Ethiopians probably also included in this are the Egyptians. They were both uh, very uh, intertwined at this time and 
and ancient history, you Ethiopians also shall be slain by my sword as they were by the Babylonian Empire. And he shall stretch out his hand uh, against the north. His focus comes to the, uh, the north. And uh, Babylon will destroy Assyria, make Nineveh a desolation as dry as the wilderness. Uh, the herds shall lie down in her midst. Every beast of the nation, uh, both the pelican and the bittern, shall lodge in the capitals uh, of her pillars. Uh, their voices shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be, uh, shall be at the threshold, for he will lay bare the cedar work. So, if you uh, uh, Google it or if you travel around the world and you see these ancient temples or ancient buildings and the Corinthian columns and, and the, uh, uh, all these different types of columns in terms of archaeology, all of the great care that goes into them is ornamentation for uh, buildings and went into ornamentation for the buildings of Nineveh ultimately uh, they would be uh, 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 the uh, pelican and the bittern and animals and birds would uh, make their nests of them and, and it's very uncertain about their appreciation for Corinthian columns. Uh, it's, again, it's all going to come to nothing. Uh, this is the rejoicing city that dwelt securely that said in her heart, I am and there is none beside me. Now when's the last time you said that? I am. And there is none beside me. It, it would make a, a good title for a, a bestseller actually today in the Western world and the United States of America. I, it would fly, I'm sure, off of the shelf. You just give me a nickel for every copy. You write the book, I'll give you the title right here. I mean, you just think about the, the arrogance that is behind. This is something that they would... Uh, nobody would know anything uh, uh, about this attitude. They keep it in their heart, but it is their attitude for them. And God outs it. This is what they, uh, the Assyrians and, and Nineveh uh, thought about themselves. They said in their heart, I am it, and there is none beside me. Wow! And how has she become a desolation? So much for positive confessions that have no basis in reality. A place for the beast to lie down. Everyone who passes by her shall hiss and shake his uh, fist. Uh, hiss at the remembrance of the wickedness of, uh, of Assyria and be glad uh, that she was gone. And then as we come into chapter 3, uh, Zephaniah uh, pronounces uh, woe upon the city of Jerusalem once again. And he starts to lay down her sins. Woe to her, her who is rebellious. The idea is rebellious against God and His commandments and polluted. That's always the result of, of rebellion against God's commandment. It is always to accommodate pollution uh, or, uh, or uh, it will reduce, it will result in a pollution within my life. Nobody likes to drink from a polluted stream or a polluted well. Um, it, it, it is uh, 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 distasteful to, to see that. But all of God's commandments are intended to keep us from becoming polluted by sin. And, uh, but in their rebellious against the commandment, uh, they have become uh, spiritually uh, polluted. It's, a, it's quite a, a strong picture. And then to the oppressing city in Jerusalem, here you have God's people and they're oppressing one another uh, in a way that would be uh, even worse than the Philistines. They were taking advantage of the poor, the powerless, to strip them of what wealth and power they had. She has not obeyed uh, his voice, God's voice. She has not received correction. She is <clears throat> unwilling to uh, receive instruction. And uh, anybody that won't receive correction or instruction from other people, uh, there's plenty of Proverbs that talk about that person being a fool. Uh, to, to fail to receive correction and instruction from God uh, is, is insane. 
and she has not trusted in the Lord whenever she would get into problems. Jerusalem at this time uh, in her history and beyond, uh, instead of trusting uh, in God, turning to God, praying to God, they would run off and try and produce an alliance with one of the surrounding uh, nations. Had no interest in trusting in God, and she has not drawn near uh, to her, uh, her God. And her princes in her midst are roaring lions. And here you have uh, the ruling class within, within uh, Judah, the, the, the kings, the princes. And they were using their position uh, to strip uh, the meat off of the bones of everybody, of the poor uh, government. These positions were not there to serve uh, the people. The people were there uh, to serve uh, this ruling uh, class. Her judges in, in, the, in the court of laws are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. And one of the characteristics of evening wolves is they eat all night and they never leave a carcass until all that's on it, all that's there is, is bones. And so the judges' people would come in and uh, bring in a fair case, a trial that they wanted judged by the Word of God, and, and these judges would not give righteous judgment, uh, but they used that position to again uh, strip the poor, strip the righteous uh, of all that they had uh, for their own uh, gaining uh, uh, of it, uh, enrichment of themselves. Um, her prophets, we're told, are insolent, uh, and treacherous people. Now that's a bad... Uh, 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 if you ever get a card from someone who says, listen, I'm a prophet and here's my card and, uh, and you see uh, insolent and treacherous on the, on the card, it's a bad scene concerning a, a prophet. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is that it actually sounds worse than it is. But what it is is worse than what it sounds like. Uh, the word insolent means light. It means frothy. It means reckless. And it talks about a person who is completely lacking in the fear of God and lacks uh, any sobriety about delivering God's message uh, to God's people. He is saying that these prophets were uh, spiritual lightweights. Uh, treacherous uh, carries the idea of engaging in deceit uh, or in treachery. So they knew how to make it appear that they were being faithful to God, being faithful to His message, and all the while uh, they had become wordsmiths. They knew how uh, to say things uh, while explaining away the intent of, of God's Word and uh, when they were teaching uh, God's, uh, God's people. And, uh, and a terrible, terrible uh, uh, characteristics. Her priests have polluted uh, the sanctuary. They've done uh, violence to the law. And, and so, again, this manipulation of the law of Moses. These uh, priests now, rather than teaching and declaring the Word of God, they knew how to massage it. Uh, they knew how uh, to, uh, they would do violence to it in order to uh, convey that what God is uh, clearly saying here, He isn't really saying here. And, and, and they did uh, violence to, uh, to the law. And that's a, uh, it's such a, again, such a powerful, strong, especially for someone in a position like, uh, like I, I'm in, and how God views the handling uh, of His commandments, the handling of His Word, and to try and explain away the clear demands of Scripture, the clear encouragements uh, of Scripture is to, uh, is to do violence to the Word of God. And the Lord is righteous in uh, her midst, and He will do no unrighteousness uh, at all. And so, He's unwilling to compromise with their compromise. He's in their midst. They are one thing. He is something else. If they expect Him to compromise uh, with, uh, with what they're doing in order to hold on to them, He doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have the capacity for compromise, thankfully. 
and uh, he will do no unrighteousness. Every morning, uh, he brings uh, his justice to light. Uh, he never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. This appears to be a reference to um, every morning in Jerusalem, uh, the uh, offering that was offered on a daily basis to the Lord uh, at the temple, the sacrificial offering, was a burnt offering. A burnt offering was an offering that was unique among the offerings and that that offering would be put upon the altar and it would be burned and completely consumed on the fire. And it represented, was to represent the heart of God's people that my life belongs entirely to you. It's a burnt offering. You can do with it whatever you want. And so uh, all this time, all of this disobedience is going on, all of this idolatry is going on, everything is in high gear at the temple. They're still making all of the offerings, all of the sacrifices, all of these kind of, of things. And uh, Zephaniah is saying, how can you come morning by morning to offer the, the offering of burnt offering that is to be a symbol of your complete consecration to God, living the life that you're living? And, and, and he confronts them once again uh, with their uh, uh, refusal or incapacity uh, to know any shame. And, uh, and, he, and he moves in verse uh, 6 into, in verse 7, into what is the core always of this kind of thing. I have cut off nations, uh, their fortresses are devastated. I have made their streets desolate with none passing by. Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. He's looking at the land and what it's going to be like following that Babylonian uh, invasion. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive my instruction so that her dwelling uh, <clears throat> would not be cut off. God says, surely I thought uh, that if, if the choice was between the continued practice of your idolatry and of your wickedness and your survival, that you would choose your survival. And they didn't. And they didn't. That was the addiction to their sin and to their wickedness and how rebellious they were. And I think in, in uh, the nation that we live in right now, in terms of sin, the availability uh, of sin, the shamelessness of sin, I think there's not, certainly doesn't, I don't know what the percentage of the population would be, but there's a considerable portion of the population that would rather see the nation crumble and cease to exist than to give up their sin and to give up, up their uh, a, a wickedness. A heart can become uh, that, har that hard and that uh, disoriented spiritually. And so I said, surely you will fear me and you will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all of their deeds. Even that wouldn't work. Even that wouldn't work. A complete absence of the fear of God. And then God continues by uh, giving them an encouragement, encouragement to a uh, faithful remnant uh, uh, in a, uh, a future uh, season in Jerusalem. And therefore wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I uh, rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour uh, on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth will be devoured uh, with the fire of my jealousy. Speaking of his judgment upon Judah, but also the Gentile nations. For then I will restore to the peoples. It will take this judgment in order for people uh, to be dislodged from their sin and their idolatry. For then I will restore to the peoples, the Gentile nations, a pure language that they may call on the name of the Lord to serve Him with one accord. And this looks forward in its far fulfillment to the kingdom age, the thousand year reign of Christ on the other side of, uh, uh, of this day of the Lord called the Great Tribulation. 
And from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, uh, the daughter of my dispersed ones shall bring my offering. Uh, uh, following all of this judgment and arrest opportunity to restore to the land, Jews will come once again uh, post uh, their, uh, their exile in Babylon back into uh, the land of Judah. That's the near fulfillment. The far fulfillment will be when Jesus comes at His second coming, again following the tribulation period, uh, the day of the Lord, and, uh, and the Jews having been scattered everywhere as a result of the abomination that causes desolation by the Antichrist, and then at His second coming, they will then return back into uh, the land of Israel. And in that day, you shall not be ashamed for any uh, of, of your, uh, your deeds. And so there will be no practice of anything uh, in that kingdom age, no practice of anything that will be a cause uh, for shame. The righteous will not feel ashamed for living a righteous life. And so, in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. And so, the chastening would accomplish what it needed to do I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them uh, afraid. And then he speaks in verse 14 of the return of joy to Jerusalem and uh, that Jerusalem will be uh, a, once again a city of joy. Sing, O daughter of Zion, that is Jerusalem. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast uh, out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, uh, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. And in that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, do not let your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The ultimate fulfillment of this again, the thousand-year reign of Christ following Jesus' second coming. And I will uh, uh, gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly uh, who are among you to whom its reproach uh, is a uh, burden. And so all of this wickedness, all of this sin going on, all of this uh, 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 idolatry and, uh, uh, that, that was happening for the righteous, this was a burden to them. It was, it had broken, it was breaking their heart how God was being misrepresented uh, by the Jewish people, in, even in the religious practices before the Gentile nations. It hurt them to watch that because they knew God's reputation was at stake. And God said, Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you, and I will save the lame and gather those who were, dri were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame. Uh, in other words, He'll exalt them among the people of the earth, the righteous. Again, this encouragement, being righteous in the midst of great wickedness, God notices it. It is worth continuing uh, to do that, no matter who does or who else doesn't. And I will gather those who are driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they are put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back even at that time, I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Again, a near fulfillment after the Babylonian captivity, far and fullest fulfillment uh, in, uh, in the, uh, after the second coming uh, of Jesus Christ. And so here we have this Zephaniah, beautiful, <laughs> just clear as a bell, uh, 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 speaking about God's judgment upon their secret um, idolatry and their uh, hypocrisy. 
Uh, and, and, and it's a book that speaks against having a, a love for something uh, that is uh, a love for something in my life that is forbidden by God. But the reason it remains in my life is I love it more than God. And that's always the way that it is with sin. Always the way that it is with idolatry. Why does sin and idolatry and wickedness become systemic? Why does it become a practice? Why does it have a long life within the life of a child uh, of, of God? It's because I love it more uh, than, than God. And, and anything that I love more than God is an idol and it is to practice uh, uh, idolatry. And then you think about what happens is when there is that, that uh, giving the appearance in spiritual environments of being uh, wholehearted for the Lord when I know that in the privacy of, of my heart, right underneath the, the very surface, that God is not the supreme in my life, that I love these sins more than Him, then it means I have to become a hypocrite or an actor in spiritual uh, settings. And the only person that gets fooled by that, of course, is myself uh, and, and other people for a while. Uh, but God is never, ever fooled uh, by it. And so if, if that's, uh, uh, that's me here uh, this evening, uh, and I'm betting, as they did, uh, that God won't chasten me over it, uh, then... Uh, and then one day, uh, always what happens is the bottom falls out. So here we're very close now, and I, I see the time, but I, 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 we're very close now to finishing the Minor Prophets. There's just three more, and then we'll be into the New Testament. And so there's the repetition, there's the repetition, there's the repetition of the same message. And we all notice it. I mean, we all recognize it. But the danger is, is that we could, uh, that any of us could get to the place as far in this progression of major and minor prophets all the way to uh, the prophecy of Zephaniah and have it not have made a dent on idolatry or the practice, habitual practice and willful practice of wickedness or sin within my life. Because if Zephaniah cannot wake me up, then what will it take? It'll take getting busted and being brought out into the open on it and then God having to deal with me even, even more, more, uh, more strongly. And, and so uh, the importance in our own... I, I liked this, uh, the worship set that the worship team... Uh, saying this morning. It's always as much a surprise to me as it is, is to you. I don't give them a worship set. But all these songs that were sung related to uh, the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. And then came that song about I'll have no, uh, no idols in my life. And I thought it was such a nice jarring uh, thing because here we are, we're strong in these things of God's love, we're strong uh, in His mercy and His grace toward us, but then the, the seriousness of the fact that it means something to represent God in the world. It means something to be a Christian uh, in, in the world. And one of the things that it means is not to be an idolater, not to love something more in life than God Himself not to willfully disobey His commandments. And so tonight, as we close in a moment, the worship team will close us in a worship song, but to take some time this evening, and uh, maybe in this very sanctuary, or maybe just in a quiet place uh, wherever you live, or walk around the block, or whatever it might be, and to repent of any of these kind of things that might be in our life tonight. We all know how these things uh, enter, we know how they attempt to stay. We all recognize the temptation of what uh, the uh, children of Judah fell for. We all get that. A and, and for this to be a wake-up call to say, no, I, uh, I hear God through this prophet, uh, prophet and I'm going to turn away from this. And, and not with... And I have no intention of, 
of digging deep or plowing deep or that was heavy or that was hard or anything uh, like that. I'm not trying to, to do anything like that. It's just if the, if the shoe fits. Because the fact of the matter is, is if I ignore it and He delays His judgment, His chastening, I begin to think He'll never chasten me. It'll always just go on like this. And then one day, the bottom falls out. And, and there's the after. And I would give anything to have a chance at the before once again. And that's what He's trying to protect us from and bringing us back to Him. And so, not to be uh, super heavy in a deliberate kind of way, but I don't want to take the sobriety or the heaviness of Zephaniah away from our hearts as is necessary for any of us in the privacy of our hearts between us and God tonight. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for Zephaniah. Your word is always clear. It's like a trumpet. It's always, uh, it delivers its message. And here he is so clear. And Lord, we recognize the deceitfulness of our own hearts, the lies that we're able to tell ourselves, the lies that we will even believe that we foist upon ourselves. And we thank you for the clarity of your word to come up against those things and to warn us and warn us and warn us of what is a danger to us before the bottom does fall out. And Lord, it must break your heart to see this go on over and over and over and over again in so many lives of your people, even as Christians. And so we ask tonight, and I ask that you would speak to us individually related to any danger that any of us might be in in this regard, that we might confess our sin, that we might, might repent of it, and then walk with you in a way that is honoring to you and is also uh, good, oh so good for us. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.